If you missed the uh, beginning of the service, I'm Tim. Nice to meet you. Sorry, I'm just really thirsty. So, um, so last week I uh, spoke upon uh, rain. It was a, a prophetic thing I felt from God, and um, actually. Uh, some of you wanted to know more about it, and some of you wanted to know more about the scriptures I spoke about. So at the back on the welcome table, uh, I've put just literally an A4 one-page document where I did a summary of what I spoke about with all the scriptures. And I thought it was a prophetic passage for uh, us as a church, as individuals, in what God wanted to do for this year. That he wanted to refresh us, he wanted to restore us, and he wanted us to have a harvest. So if you wanted to that, there's a there's a load of them on the back. Have a look at it. There's got all the scriptures on I used and uh, just a summary of what I spoke about uh, without listening to a 25-minute talk. So I spoke about But today, I'm going to be starting a new series on the book of Philippians. It's got four chapters and we've got four weeks. Perfect. And the mega theme is for the gospel's sake. This is the mega theme of the book of Philippians. Well, one of them and the one we'll be focusing on. It's for gospel's sake. Have you ever thought about what motivates you in life? What gets you out of bed in the morning? See, there's always something that gets us out of bed in the morning. Whether that is looking after children or grandchildren. Whether it's to earn some money to pay the bills. Or maybe it's because you just love cleaning. You want to get up and clean. Maybe it's that. Uh, you're one of those strange kind of people. But if you are one of those strange kind of people, please come to my house. <laughs> not, to, not to go in bed and then get up, obviously. But later, you know what I mean. Or maybe you think that it's because it's the normal thing to do. You've got to get out of bed. You know, your alarm goes off at whatever time, and I've got to. That's the normal social thing to do. But I think there's always a motivation behind everything we do. There's a motivation of why we get up in the morning. See, throughout the letter Paul sent to the church in Philippi, he is urging that our motivation in life is the gospel, for gospel's sake. That we should be gospel-centered and gospel-driven. See, you go to work for the sake of the gospel. You look after your children or your grandchildren for the sake of the gospel. You care for your elderly parents for the sake of the gospel. You even clean your house for the sake of the gospel. For gospel's sake. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be going through this passage in quite a bit of detail, actually. But it's going to be fun, guaranteed. I promise it's going to be fun. But let's talk about the background first. Acts 16. See, Acts 16 gives us the story of the start of the birth of the church in Philippi. Some of you may have heard it before, and I'm going to go through it. And this is where it started. See, Paul had a vision of someone calling him to Macedonia, but specifically Philippi. He's, the man in the vision says to Paul, come and help me. He says, come and help me. And I want to show you something. If you move on to just the map. See, this is where. So Paul is in minor Asia. And that's modern day Turkey. So you've got like Ephesus and stuff like that. And then 
he goes to Philippi, which is in Europe, which is Macedonia at that time, and he makes the first trek. And this is actually the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to Europe. So you could say, this is quite influential to our lives. Because if Paul didn't decide to go there, God might have used someone else, but in terms of what actually happened, this took the message of Jesus Christ to Europe. And this is his uh, second journey, as you can tell. So he's in trials, and God says to him, he has this vision in the middle of the night that a man says to him, come and help me. See, have you ever had a word from God? A vision or something? And this is why we need to respond. Because if Paul didn't respond, he says, no, I'm going to go to, back to Ephesus, or I'm going to Galatia, or no, I'll go to Cyprus. It's meant to be nice there, Cyprus, you know, a bit of sunbathing. Oh, 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 Barnabas, he was from Cyprus, wasn't he? You know, I'll go and visit Barnabas. You know, this is why it's so important when we hear a message, a vision, a prophetic from God, you've got to respond. Because actually, generations down the line are, 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 um, are receiving the fruit of the response of the prophetic words. So Paul travels to Philippi, which is from uh, Minor Asia, in about... 49 AD. So Jesus died, depending where you read, anywhere between 30 AD and 33 AD. So 49 AD, you're talking, you know, 16-ish years after Jesus has died. And he goes there, and it's the Sabbath. And he goes to a river, and he starts praying to God. I love this. He's, 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 you know, he's probably he's near a river in Philippi. He's, he's praying on the Sabbath. He's spending time with God. He's probably reading a book, maybe listening to a podcast. They didn't exist. You know, doing some of that. He's spending time, with, he's spending quality, quiet time with God. He's on his own. And then a crowd starts to gather because he's praying in many ways in the out and open. They see him. And there's this lady who is curious for more. Her name is Lydia. You've probably heard of her. She's a seller of purple cloth. She's a businesswoman. She's a high flyer. In many ways, she would be the equivalent to a CEO in the center of London, the city of London. Because Philippi was an important city. It was a, a trade city. It was a hub. And she was something that sold purple cloth, which, by the way, was a premium, a premium commodity. She was educated. It says that she worshipped God. She would have been a Jew. She would have probably been a strict Jew. And she's curious, what is Paul doing? See, notice it says in Acts 16 that she ga he gathers a crowd. So he's, he's, he's on the Sabbath, he's at the river, he's reading his Bible uh, and praying, uh, and he gathers a crowd and one person is curious. That's why it's so important to gather a crowd, because it's worth it for the one person. If one person gets touched, it's important to gather a crowd. It happened to, uh, to Paul. And so... Uh, she's curious, and she wants to know more, and she, said she, she finds out more about Jesus, and then Paul goes back to her home, eats a meal with her, and then the whole family gets saved. So Lydia, a 
rich, wealthy, educated business lady, a high flyer, high, um, high class lady gets saved. A few days later, Paul and Silas will go into a place of prayer. And it says that a female slave, this is Acts 16, uh, a slave that could predict the future, was shouting these words. Was shouting these words. These are the servants of the Most High God who are telling the way to, be, way to be saved. And in Acts 16, it actually says that she was doing this for a few days. I think this is remarkable. In many ways, Paul and Silas have such patience. Could you imagine someone following you around for a few days, saying that these people are telling you the way to get saved? I'd be like, go away, go away. I'll call the police. I'll get them onto you. But suddenly, I don't know why, Paul turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus to go leave her this evil spirit. And at that point, the owners find out. And by the way, the owners were wealthy because the slave girl could predict other people's future and would earn the owners a lot of money. So the owners go and get uh, Paul and Silas, and they literally seize them. It says they dragged them to the marketplace in front of the rulers, and they, their accusation to the authorities is this. They're trying to be rebels, basically. They're stirring up. They're stirring up riots. They're speaking of customs that are against our law. That's what the scripture says in Acts 16. And what happens next? Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten with rods and then thrown into prison. See, at this point, if I was Paul, I would be like, well, God, you gave me a vision to go all the way from, um, from Minor Asia to Philippi. Uh, I've seen one conversion in terms of uh, Lydia, and now I'm, I'm in prison. How is this your plan for me? And sorry, I forgot the slave girl as well. Why did I even come here? And then, as we know, many of us know the story. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying together, and they were worshiping, they were singing songs of praise. And then the earth shakes, the doors opened, and the chains that were on Paul and Silas fell off. And the jailer and guard, he was in such fear for his life because he's basically, if you're a jailer, if you lose your prisoner, they're going to kill you. So he's in such fear of his life, he thought he lost his jailer because it was all dark. He goes and gets a light, and Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And he's overwhelmed by why they have done that. And he says, what do I do that I must be saved? And the Bible says in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they go back to the jailer's house and the whole household gets saved. See, at this point, we meet three people. We meet Lydia, who's a businesswoman, who's uh, educated, who's smart, she's rich. And then you get the slave girl, who's in basically in society, she's a nobody. She's just a, a, a problem, really, unless you want to know your future, which is quite handy, really, isn't it? But, but she was a problem. And then you've got the jailer. The jailer probably was an average Joe, really. He went in, did his work, earned his money, just enough to put food on the table. Three different people, three different classes, Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. But God, this was the start of the church plant in Philippi. Three people, three convicts, the rich, the poor, and the jailer, the okay man. 
See, if it was me, I'd be like, God, why did you choose some of these people to be part of history? Why didn't you choose more people, God? Why didn't you just go there and send Paul and raise up 30 people? That's a good number to start a church or to start something different. See, there are a thousand and one reasons why not to choose these people. But there are a thousand and one reasons why God did choose these people. See, all these conversations that Paul had, they have a few things in common. Number one, they were all in times of prayer. Paul, he's at the river, he's praying, reading his Bible probably. You know, um, so when he went to slave guild, they were on their way to go and pray. And the jailer, they were in there praying. Number two is that they, all, they spent time with them and went back to their families eating and talking about Jesus. There was a time when they said, did you know Jesus is like this? He, he said this, he did this, he, he, and this. And thirdly, a life being transformed is entirely a miracle from God. They were all miracles. The miracle of the rich lady being curious and wanting to know more, and then she got saved. You know, the slave girl being set and free, it was a miracle. And in the jail, when the prison doors opened, miracle. They're all miracles of life transformation. See, it was about 53, 55 AD that Paul actually writes this letter. So it's 49 AD, roughly, that Paul goes to Philippi, and it's about you know, four or six years later that he writes this letter. And this is what he says, Philippians 1, we're there. This is what he said. We're going to go into quite a bit of detail. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter was for everyone in the whole church. It wasn't just the leaders, it was every single person. And someone would have got this letter and they would have read it out. It had to be someone who was quite educated because majority of people in those days couldn't read or write. So it would have been someone who got the letter and would have stood here like I am and they would have read the letter from Paul to the whole uh, community, whole church in Philippi. And Paul starts off in many ways with a normal greeting of his main letters. He often starts every prayer of my, oh sorry, the previous one, uh, the grace you know, obviously, it's off such grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a very common beginning of Paul's letters. This is not uncommon. And then he goes on to say, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul is thanking God. He remembers the things of about six years ago when the first convicts got saved. He remembers going to their homes and eating and talking about Jesus. And he's like, I thank God for you. I remember you. And he says, in every prayer of mine, I thank God that we're in partnership together. It was a joy that they were working together for the gospel's sake. Verse 6. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring you to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, 
because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. He who started a good work in you. He could say that because he was there at the beginning of the church plants. He was there with Lydia. He was there with the slave girl. He was there with the jailer. And he says, I thank God. He who brang a completion, uh, so who, br- who started a good work, will bring it into completion. He said, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. Paul writes that because he cares for the church in Philippi. He cares for the people. He cared for them. He loved them. And he loved their families. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you so that you may approve what is excellent and so, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, Paul yearned that each person in the church in Philippi would grow in love, knowledge, and discernment. He cared for them. He had an affection for them. And they were partakers. You get in the feeling of the first chapter of the letter, you know, next 12, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. To all the rest of that, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, as much more bold, as much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, Paul's perspective on a pretty dull situation. He's in prison... He's writing this letter, but he's saying there's good that has come out of it. I'm in prison, but it has served for greater things. It's not his advantage, it's other people's advantage. He's become more bold in the message of Jesus Christ. See, how many of us can say that when we're going through a dull situation, it's a blessing to other people? I'm joyful that it's what's going on because actually it's blessing other people. Other people's faith are rising. But, you know, this situation's going on in church. Well, at least the church is praying. That's building faith. That was Paul's thing. You know, if I was that person, I'd be like, yeah, but God, just heal me. God, take this away from me. But Paul's perspective was quite interesting. He said, no, no, but if, for example, if someone is sick, at least the church is praying. They're building their faith. They're coming together. They're, they're more unified in it. He saw the perspective, and it was an advantage. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking of to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. Paul's main concern was the gospel was penetrating people's lives, was affecting people's lives. He was mainly concerned the gospel was preached. He didn't care about other people's motives. He wasn't getting bogged down saying, why are they doing this? What are they doing? They're not doing it right. He was just saying, no, as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, I 
and rejoicing. They might do it because they're trying to, you know, be horrible to me or something like that. But no, the gospel's being preached. It is a good thing. Verse, yes, I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage, not always, not, I'm sorry, full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. See, this is an interesting, this gives us into how the miraculous works. Because it says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So miracles happen through two hands coming together. It is through the prayers and through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. They come together for deliverance. You need both. Paul says, that is how it happened for me. I take this as good theology. That it's through prayer and a Spirit of Jesus Christ. So we need both to be able to be praying Paul, when he went to the church plant, he was out praying. Interesting, if I don't say myself. Verse 21, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for it's far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that it is me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of your coming to you again. See, this shows Paul's passion for the gospel. See, for most of us in this room, you know, it's, it's not, an easy, it's not a, um, a hard decision to say, should we die or should we live? Most of us would be like, well, we're living. You know, let's be honest. It's not a hard decision for us in this room. You know, if we're honest, we're not thinking, oh, but if I died, it would be so much better. We're thinking, no, I want to live, it's so much better. Let's be honest. If you're that person, please give us some wisdom. Come up now. If you have the wisdom of how you feel that you really want to die because you know it's better, you might have greater wisdom. But the fact is, is that Paul saw that to live is to serve Christ Jesus. It's having this, that I go to work to serve Jesus. I, I look after my kids to, for the gospel's sake. Because he knew everything God had called him to do, it's for the gospel's sake. And so I, I serve and I live the name of Jesus Christ. Even you know, going for a walk with friends, I do that because it's a good thing and it's a, it's a godly thing and it's for the gospel's sake because I want to build better relationships and talk about Jesus. He had a passion for the gospel that caused him so much that he, that he said, I would do anything and actually that's more costly than dying. He's pressed between the two. But he knows he should stay because he's serving. Did you know that actually heaven is so much better than this place? See, we think that if we go to heaven, we lose all the good stuff of this place. I want to go to look at the scenery. I want to go to the mountains and go for walks. I, I've still got to, I've got experiences with friends and family. Did you know when you go to heaven, you're going to go for walks? You're going to eat great food? You're going to see people? 
You might not have the same kind of relationship you do on earth, but you're going to recognize them and just feel such a love and a warmth. Think about the best day you've ever had on earth, times it by a thousand, that is heaven. You're not going to think, I'm, not, I'm going to lose, I'm going to, I love food too much. I love Zimbrai. Zimbrai is my favorite restaurant, by the way. South African restaurant, Ashley Cross. I love Zimbrai. Great food. Cross, I've got such better food out there, up, up in heaven. You can have a feast with me. Or you're like, no, no, I love my family too much. I don't want to leave them. I get that. I love my family too much. But God knows that we've got a bigger family waiting for us in heaven where we're going to feel such love, such warmth. And Paul understood this. You know, if I'm honest, I just think to myself, you know, I will be in the same category. as like, God, I want to stay on this earth. I want to spend some time with my family. I want to do this, this, this. But and then I've got to remind myself, no, actually, heaven is so much better than this place. Heaven, we've got to be homesick. Homesick means heaven sick. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absence, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side side for the faith of the gospel, and you not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of the destruction, uh, sorry, a clear sign of them of their destruction, but of your salvation that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw, I had, and now hear that I still have. See, his passage saying that as partakers, as partners in the gospel, we should be side by side in the faith of Jesus Christ. We should be there together and not fearing anything because the other opposition should be more frightened. See, in this first part, in this whole chapter we've just read together, the, the main thing that, got, that I think that Paul wants to get across is this that we should have a passion for the gospel and compassion for people. This is it. A passion for the gospel and compassion for people. See, the first bit, the passion for the gospel, the gospel is good news to all mankind. It is a story of God's grace. It is sent his son to this earth that he knew that he would die upon, the, uh, upon a cross because we have made mistakes, but in his death and resurrection brought our freedom No, we can stand here and celebrate and rejoice and not think about the things that we've messed up in the last week. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as we come to him, we get forgiveness. You know, we have no condemnation, but we're set free. And now we can have a relationship and we can be called the followers of Jesus because the gospel is good news. It's life transformation. And every single in this person in this room has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's transforming your life. You pray to God and you know he will answer because of the gospel. You can see miracles in your life. And we've seen many miracles in this church. We heard Jensen's miracle because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel affects our whole lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our families. It affects our workplace, our everyday. The gospel is real and alive. Amen. John Calvin says this, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. 
It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is a fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the, recess, to the inner recess of the heart. He's saying the gospel is not just a, a word, it's not just what I'm talking about, but it's the whole life, it's soul, it, it possesses your whole life. But how easy, how easy it is to become complacent and tired and let the gospel only impact part of our lives. Maybe, maybe some of us are feeling that this morning. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. By the way we spend our time, our words, our mouth, and our actions is the insight into our heart. So the gospel, if we allow the gospel to be a passion in our hearts, it will bring good news for your home and for your family. It will be good news for your workplace. It will be good news for the whole of society. It will be good news to every aspect of our lives because the gospel brings truth and revelation and wisdom and transformation. It brings a life like the world has never known it. You might be thinking, well, how do I rekindle my passion for the gospel? Just some practical tips in many ways. By reading the Bible, praying, not neglecting to meet together, but also being around other people that are passionate for the gospel. Paul was so passionate for the gospel, it was the very reason he lived. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. See, we are all partakers and partners in the gospel. We are standing side by side, hand by hand, shoulder to shoulder, together for the sake of the gospel. We are called to encourage one another, see each other's callings and gifts, praying for the one another, holding each other in our hearts. It's Paul's priority that the gospel will be at work in all of our lives and as a church. See, as a church, we need to stand firm in one spirit, in unity together, one mind for the gospel's sake. But we will remember that the gospel impacts us here right now, but it's also called to impact the whole world. It's a call to impact your workplace, your family life. It calls to impact how you treat your neighbor. Because we know that we've been saved, and actually I want to, moves on to the next point, compassion. I want to love people. This is really interesting. Our prayer for one another should be that same as Paul. And he says this, is that our love may abound more and more. I could probably pretty much guarantee you the church in Philippi would have had people that were probably sick, maybe didn't have enough money, maybe even were homeless. But Paul doesn't specifically write that. He doesn't, that's not his primary point. His primary prayer for the church in Philippi is that their love will abound more and more. I wonder when the last time you prayed for someone else's love to abound more and more. When have you prayed for me and said, I pray that Tim's love will abound more and more? Maybe you've done it quite often. See, I was, when I was doing this, I looked through, I've got a prayer book, and I was looking through it, and I was thinking about the prayers I prayed for you guys. I prayed for peace, healing, you know, lots of different things, and it's very little 
of that I pray that the Vine Church, the people, love will bow more and more. But Paul's instruction was like, this is first priority. Yes, pray for healing, pray for miracles, rightly so. But his, his prayer for the church in Philippi is that the love will abound more and more. And I think this is because he knows that if you get so, um, uh, what's the word, contaminated with the world, it's easy to get sucked into worldly things. So we need to pray for the church to get not complacent, not tired with a passionate gospel, but actually their love will abound more and more and then the gospel passion will come. When's the last time you prayed for someone else in church for their love to abound more and more? These are interesting. See, Jesus had a compassion to love the rich and the poor, the elite and the marginalized, the quiet people. That wasn't that quiet, was it? The quiet people. And the loud people. He loved every single person because he knew every single person needed the gospel. I wonder, do you have the same faith and desire as Paul for gospel impact for the people in our town of Paul? Paul, Paul, Paul. Uh, does anyone else find that funny? No? Okay. A compassion for people. Who do you find easy to love? Who's easy to love? If you're married, I hope you say you have a spouse. I hope. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know them the best. You know their good and bad bits. But who do you find hard to love? Practical tip. Pray for those you find hard to love. Because we've all got people, if we're honest, we find harder to love. I'm not talking about anyone in this church. You know, no one else in this church finds anyone else harder to love, obviously. That's just a given. Pray. Pray for someone. See, we live in a world where the news is filled with hate. If you look at the newspaper, the front headlines, it's often something to do with hate. It's not good news. It's never good news never sells newspapers, right? And actually, we've got a love. As the Beatles so song goes, all you need is love. Well, you need the love of Jesus and you need the love of one another. The greatest commandment of God was love God, love your others as yourself. There's three parts to this, isn't it? Love God, love others, love your neighbor, but also love yourself. Be the, love the person God has called you to be. A compassion for people. A compassion that we should, we should love God and proclaim the gospel and preach the gospel and we should be people of the gospel. Our gospel should affect our whole lives. Every sake of it, it's for the sake of the gospel. But we will love other people as well because we should have a compassion to see people and to see what life has thrown at them and it isn't always their fault. And we've all had different backgrounds. We all do things differently. But that's okay because I will still love you. But also love ourselves because we know that God has made me this special way. I'm not just talking about your physical selves, but I'm talking about the way you do stuff as well. Is that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique because you are different and you are unique. And I would love where the way God has made me. See, in many ways, today, we announced that we're going to do another service. 
And we want to see something that we can do small, God to do something big. Can God really do something in many ways and turn them all? Can we really gather 10 non-Christians and do a service? Since I've led this church, we've never had 10 non-Christians. Well, maybe we had on a cower service. But apart from a cower service, we've never had 10 non-Christians sit in a room on a normal Sunday on a, on a, a reoccurrence basis. Can we gather? Well, 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 can God start a church with a rich person, with a slave girl? Can God really start a church with a jailer who was against Paul? You know, can God really do this stuff? Well, I think he can. Three people it took. So me, Dave, and Pete, at least. No, joking. Other people are coming as well. No, but it took three people. We've got the power of the gospel and a compassion for people. And our strength is that we are advancing together. And this was the first part of Philippians 1. That together we stand side by side. So therefore, this means uh, if, if we're doing a service over there and you see someone next week and you say, Tim, how did it go at Turley Moor last Sunday? Or you give me a phone up on Tuesday or whatever and say, Tim, Tim, how did it go? Or you give someone else a phone and say, how did it go? I've been praying for you. I I, I'm not able to come because I'm focusing, but I'm just, I'm praying for you. I'm with you on this. This is what it means to stand by side. This is what it means. It's togetherness. It's having one heart. And then it's the same for each of our lives. It's saying to this, uh, phone someone up and just say, well, I know you've been struggling at work. How was work today? I've been praying for you when you've been at work today. You know, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ means. Do you have a passion for the gospel and compassion for people? See, I think in this, we can all grow in. It's no, not, not, not anyone can say, I've got a perfect passion for gospel. No one can say, and no one can say they're perfectly compassionate towards people. So I want to end by just praying for us before we sing one more song. And this is the prayer. I want to pray that for all of us, that our love will abound more, that our passion for Jesus Christ will grow, our passion for the gospel. And we'll be able to see how the gospel comes so effective in every circumstance of our lives and society. And I'm going to pray that we all grow in compassion because we all need it, including um, myself. Father God, Father Help us to be partners in the gospel and help us to be passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to, to be compassionate for people. They might not be the same as us, but help us to love them. Lord God, loving people is hard work sometimes because it can be painful and hurtful, although it can be joyous and fun as well when you love people, but Lord, I pray you help us, give us a compassionate for people. Lord, compassionate for the people we rub shoulders with every day. Help us to bring the gospel to them. Help us to be the, the embodiment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would help us by your Holy Spirit. And Father God, I want to also thank you for every single person in this room. That together we're on this journey. And I thank you for each person that plays their part to, to form the Vine Church in many ways. Thank you for their giftings. Thank you for their heart. And Father, I pray that we would um, even more so carry on in the things you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one song to end. But also I noticed that, you know, if you want prayer today, please do come and speak to myself 
or um, someone who's on the prayer ministry team. But what we'll do is that if you're on the prayer ministry team, put your lanyard on and just grab them over tea and coffee. Uh, and they'll pray for you or speak to myself. But this is, you know, church is meant to be a time where we're together and praying for one another. So don't feel that you can't get prayer because we are here for you as well. Let's stand. Thanks, Emma.